Welcome to Tim Friedman's 70s Rock Conversations. I'm your host, Tim Friedman, along with rock experts, fellow Clevelander, Frank Ost. Frankie, how are you? I'm great, and it's great to be here. Episode 2, Season 7, Bruce Springsteen, The Boss, will That's be our right. featured artist. going to bring him back. We'll bring some of our early featured artists back. It's uh, a fresh look at, at some of uh, what they're doing now, or just uh, talk a little bit more about them. Because we're kind of running out of featured artists, aren't we? Exactly. <laughs> little by little, you know. <laughs> uh, today in rock history, September 19th. Born to be Wild earned a gold record, the first for the band Steppenwolf, wow. 1968. Yeah, and then, and then they're a band that, boy, I don't know much about them, but I do know they put out like 15 albums, hmm. and I don't know anyone who owns more than one of them. <laughs> I, I, I know that and Magic Carpet Ride. What else? What else done? was I there? Know, exactly. There was a yeah. Max Weinberg made his debut as a drummer for the E Street Band in 1974. That's right, yes. Linda Ronstadt's new album, Living in the USA, was released. That's the one where I think she's on um, roller skates, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. 1970, Advance. With the curly hair. Yeah, the curly hair. <laughs> Advance orders topped 2 million units, making it double platinum before it even hit the stores. Wow, that's incredible. She was hot. It was, it was a different time Boy, back then. Yeah. The first Muse concert, M-U-S-E, took place. It stood for Musicians United for Safe Energy, more commonly known as No Nukes. Oh, yes. We'll bring that up later, but Bruce Springsteen has released uh, uh, the DVD of the No Nukes. That was the the thing he did at Madison Square Garden, and Jackson Brown was in on the No Nukes back in 1980. And Doobie Brothers were in on that, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Simon and Garfunkel recorded the concert in Central Park on a beautiful night in 1981. I guess a half a million people were there. That's it right. wound up on the HBO special, which you can now see on PBS, now that we're older. <laughs> right, know? right. And I'm sure you can stream it or download it oh, from sure. any any amount of different uh, platforms. And that's one of those that I have uh, on record, on CD, <laughs> DVD. It's really good. And I'm glad it didn't rain that night. The Stones album, Tattoo You, began its run at the top of the charts and the album charts for nine weeks, 1981. 1981, last yep. number one album to date. Probably their last one forever. But mm-hmm. good one. What do you think of Tattoo You? I love that <laughs> album. That was a great album. And it, was, it? it was just, it was really the last Stones album before I got married. So from that standpoint, and I did see them right on the Tattoo You uh, tour, so mm-hmm. it was... Uh, it was one of my favorites. Waiting on a friend, little TNA. Oh good yeah, stuff. and uh, of course, start me up. You know, they're just great tunes. <laughs> the weirdest video. <laughs> start me up, Mick. Come on. Nineteen ninety-two, Elton John's album "The One" was released. That's one of my favorites. It featured the title cut and the last song, which is a, a really, really nice song. Birthdays: Baseball player Duke Snyder played with the Dodgers. That's right. Yeah. Born yeah. in 1926, James Lipton. Remember the host of the Inside the Actors Studio? Remember he used to say, "Tell me about your first movie." Oh yeah. And, and everybody it, would it, clap. It, you know. Do you believe in heaven? You yeah. Know? Yeah. Was, yeah. I Wonderfully portrayed that, yeah. by Will Ferrell. Saturday Night Live. <laughs> Adam West, Batman. Born in this date in 1928. Hard to believe. He was almost Bat- 40 when that show Batman was airing. Batman was my my mom and dad's age. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> 1928. I used to bargain, you know how the show was on Monday and then Wednesday. That's right. It was on twice a week At 7.30, they would finish off the episode. <laughs> yeah. They'd finish off the episode uh, on two days later because they'd always- It was a uh, cliffhanger, cliffhanger. And ending, and then you would tune in a couple nights later yep. to see it. I used yeah. to bargain with my mom to stay up till 8 o'clock to watch Batman. <laughs> Brooke Benton was born. Remember Rainy Night in Georgia? Yeah, 1931. Sure. He had a good low voice, didn't mm-hmm. he? Brian Epstein, 
just 32 when he died, but the manager of the Beatles, 1934, he was born. And songwriter Paul Williams, guest star on lots of episodes of Fantasy Island and also appeared in Batman the Animated Series, <laughs> <laughs> The Muppet Show. He wrote or co-wrote songs like an old-fashioned love song for he Three did, Dog Night, yes. Out in the Country, You and Me Against the World for Helen Reddy, Rainy Days and Mondays, and We've Only Just Begun for The Carpenters. Uh, wrote lyrics for Evergreen for Barbra Streisand and lyrics to the theme Love Boat, which she appeared on many times. And it's hard to believe, but I don't think I can stand one of those songs. <laughs> Jack Jones, the Love Boat. That's yeah, a great theme that's song. Jack Jones and the, the, love, <laughs> the boat. love Boat. You know that uh, the old McLean Stevenson show, he wrote and sang the opening theme for that. <laughs> <laughs> the McLean Stevenson show. Oh, and speaking of low voice like Brooke Benton, Bill Medley of the Righteous Brothers, oh, 1940. Yeah. What a great voice he Cass Elliott, also a great voice, also 32 when she died. Mm-hmm. She was born in 1943, and the English model Twiggy was born in 1949. Her real name, Dom Leslie Dawson. Okay. DBE. What does DBE stand for? Uh, Something about the British, British Empire. Empire yeah. yeah. Now, Rogers, Sheik, and a top record producer, turns 70 today, and comedian and host of Tonight's Show, Jimmy Fallon, is 48. Hmm. Did you ever see The Tonight Show anymore? I do not. I, I'm never up that late. Uh, and if I am, I'm watching sports or something that's yeah. going on. You or you've know, woken I, up uh, after an hour of sleep uh, or and you yeah. get back to sleep. <laughs> exactly. And I'm pretty much not going to be watching Jimmy Fallon or, I'm so, sorry to say it, I haven't seen Saturday Night Live in 20 years. Oh, I have seen <laughs> All right, Frankie, deep cuts from top albums and not Who Loves the Sun, do-do-do-do, but Who Loves the Sun by Velvet Underground. Yes, from their album, Loaded. Who loves the sun? Who cares that it makes plants grow? Who cares what it does since you broke my heart? Who loves the wind? 
Now this gem of a song leads off the last studio release of the Velvet Underground. Atlantic Records had requested an album loaded with hits, hence the title. And Lou Reed gave them this up-tempo, melodic song clocking in at a perfect 2 minutes and 50 seconds. It sounds literally like something from the Mamas and the Papas or the Loving Loving Spoonful, right down to the ba-ba-ba-ba sing-song chorus. (laughs) They even had Doug Yule sing it rather than the more limited and darker voice of Lou. Of course, it's a Velvet song, so listen closer to the lyrics and you hear, Who loves the sun? Who cares that it makes plants grow? Who loves it? Who cares what it does since you broke my heart? Who loves the sun? Not everyone. Perfectly insidious and perfect for the lyrics for a Velvet's hit record. Wow which is a classic oxymoron because they never had a hit single and hit the top 100. Never. <laughs> I so, think I Love You, it is not. It is not. And uh, if you listen to it, it is totally different than anything else in their library. And you go, what is that? That's a, it's yeah. a fun little tune. It's cute. And, of course, never had a chance of hitting the top 100. No. <laughs> Unlike I Think I Love You, which also started off ba 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 Exactly. Out at the same exactly. time, really. Yeah. But the song after that was a good one, Sweet Jane. Oh, absolutely. And it's on the, it's, it's on the same record, uh, same side. Yeah. And uh, mm. terrific. And, of course, that didn't sell either. So, <laughs> you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> Sweet Nothing and Who Loves the Sun, uh, first single released from the album, followed by Sweet Jane. And you know what the B-side was? Who Loves the Sun. No. <laughs> <laughs> they, kept, like, they kept trying to shove Who Loves the, <laughs> the Sun down. on it. All the songs written by Lou Reed. And yeah. then didn't they take a little break and he was uh, kind of brought back into the world of music by David Bowie or something? He was. Uh, they, they quit after this record because Lou said... He really did try to write some hits like Who Loves the Sun, like Sweet Jane. Nobody wanted anything to do with them. They sold their usual 40,000 records, Mm -hmm. and we're done. And he said, that's it. I'm out of music. Nobody really wants to hear my stuff. Yeah. And, again, it was David Bowie and his guitar player, Mick Ronson, Mm -hmm. who made a late-night call on him and said, hey, you've got to record, buddy. Yeah. And, of course, that brought him back for Transformer, and uh, the rest is history. You mean by then uh, he was working at his dad's accounting firm? Exactly. You know? I'm sure that if he was up for that late-night phone call, <laughs> he's up for joining a band or getting out of the corporate world, I would think. Yeah. Pinstripe you, suit's not for him. Well, I have, a, I have a hard time thinking of a guy doing heroin and doing the books for his dad. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. <laughs> hard to do. 
Harbor Lights by Boz Skaggs, mm, the B-side of Low Down. That's you a, a real good one. Yeah. So I don't know who doesn't have the album or the CD of Silk Degrees. And if you don't, you should. But if you only have the single <laughs> Low Down, flip it over and you'll find Harbor Lights. That's right, yeah. So you're going to have 11 minutes plus of great music from that album. In fact, I have all four of the singles that were released, What Can I Say and That's right, Little yeah. Shuffle, Low Down, whatever. So the B-sides, that makes up eight songs out of the album. Exactly. So Harbor Lights is a really good, really nice song. Um, is great it is silky smooth soulful especially from this song the five-time platinum album silk degrees which spent 115 weeks on the billboard top 200 chart now harbor lights times out at just under six minutes the longest cut in the album lowdown is really good too but back then i was flipping singles over just to see what else i could find yeah and there were some really good b-sides on that one mm, yeah that was a good one harbor yeah. lights boz skags yeah and if uh and we've talked about this before but if there was uh, there was probably never a better named song uh album in history than silk degrees yeah silky smooth wasn't it oh <laughs> yeah best instrumentals frankie marvin hamlish and the entertainer
You ever see the film The Sting? Of course. Scott Joplin. Who hasn't? Oh, yeah. That was a great song, though, The Entertainer. Uh, just before, or right around the time, we were going off the rails with the songs of 1974. That was like, we're the streak, and yep. Maria, Maria Moldauer, and Billy Don't Be a Hero. They're, oh, my goodness. Seasons in the Sun. Mm-hmm. The 1974 film, The Sting, uh, starring Redford and Newman again, produced by George Roy Hill, who also directed the pair in Butch Cassidy. Star Power, the perfect sounding soundtrack for that period piece of Scott Joplin music all over the place. It sparked a renewed interest in his music. Boy, it sure did. Yeah, and the film was released on Christmas Day, 1973, nominated for 10 Oscars, was The Sting, winning seven of them, including Best Picture, Editor, Director, Original Screenplay, and is considered one of the greatest films ever written. Right. And made a a star out of Marvin Hamlish. Yeah, it did. Definitely. So it grossed over $159 million at the box office. I don't know how that translates to today's numbers, but wow. Marvin Hamlish won an Oscar for best scoring. He was only 29 years old at the time. That's right, yeah. Frankie, he seemed a lot older than that. But, you know, he also won two Oscars for his music in The Sting and The Way We Were. Released just a couple of months before The Sting. Right. Marvin was one of only a select few to win an Oscar, an Emmy, a Grammy, and a Tony, and is one of only two people to also win a Pulitzer Prize. Wow, I never R- Richard Rogers that. being yeah. the other. Quite the career for Marvin Hamlish. Sure was, yeah. The Entertainer's great ragtime tune. You know, I thought it went to number one. It didn't. It only made it to number uh, three. It's probably kept out by... Midnight at the Oasis. Yeah, one of the songs we just mentioned. Probably TSOP, most likely. (laughs) (laughs) How about you? Well, I've got the theme from Mannix by Lalo Schifrin. Saturday at 10 p.m., this song burst from my little mono-speakered 15-inch black-and-white TV to announce that private detective Joe Mannix was on another adventure. Schifrin was the same composer who wrote themes for Mission Impossible, Dirty Harry, and numerous other TV shows and movies. The band for the recording featured members of the Wrecking Crew Mm. that we've talked about, with legendary Carol Kay on the bass. And the arrangement was so good that lots of jazz and symphonic bands played it as part of their repertoire. Sorry to say none of the bands I ever performed, (laughs) ever was in, performed it. But with YouTube, you can check out the original, an extended version, and a 13-minute Manix suite. Mm. I'll tell you. That is sweet. 
Now, there's one other fact here that I ran into that I got to share with you. Over the eight-year run of the series, Mannix was shot 17 times and knocked unconscious 55 times. Wow. Talk about CTE. Yeah. Holy <laughs> cow. That's almost like a football player. Just <laughs> 55 times in eight years. Holy cow. Oh, you know his uh, loyal secretary, Peggy. Absolutely. Gail Fisher. Peggy Fair was her mm. last name. Now, Lalo is still alive today. He's 90 years old. I saw that. Yeah, that's quite old. But, um, boy, we had, like I said, if he'd just done the Mission Impossible thing, oh, yeah. that was a career in itself. Those are both great tunes. Yeah, they really were. And you can just visualize the Mannix being chased by the helicopter. Yeah, and running exactly. Down highway, running down the highway. And the they bridge. had the, the little boxes, the remember? Boxes. Yeah. yeah. That was uh, what a great show. What a cool character that was. It Mike was. Connors, Joe Mannix. It was. And the uh, private eye. One at Wonder Time, me and Mrs. Jones. You said that was my mom's, one of my mom's favorites. I it really was. was. I do I do remember her talking about it, and she loved that song. Boy, cool singers back then. Not just Barry White, uh, Al Green, Johnny Bristol, Billy mm-hmm. Paul had yeah. that number one hit from the fall of 72 for three weeks. Yet another great R&B singer from Philadelphia. Incredible to me that he didn't have a whole lineup of hits because, boy, that song was just perfect and, and he was so good at singing it. He was. Christmas time, 1972, was uh, top the charts, replacing Helen Reddy's I Am Woman and would be replaced by another female artist's Carly Simon's You're So Vain. Oh my. Sandwiched in between was Billy Paul and Me and Mrs. Jones. What a great, great song. Four more chart singles would follow. None higher than number 37. Yeah, yeah. Me and Mrs. Jones would be covered by Michael Bublé, <laughs> of all that people. sounds about right. 2007. That sounds about right. It's too bad that um, a guy like Billy Paul couldn't have combined his career with, say, Johnny Bristol or Al Wilson or somebody like that, uh, just to, you know, show and tell or something sure. by Blue Magic. Then he'd have a decent catalog of, of songs, four or five big hits. Yeah, but, for the longest time, I thought it was Al Green. 
Yeah. You know, because it sounds so much like he was, and he was big at that time, but no, it wasn't Billy Paul. What a cool looking singer too. Look it up on, uh, on, online. You can, you can see he was a perfect guy from that era. The, the sunglasses, uh, like the, the goatee type mm-hmm. beard, the hat, mm-hmm. really cool guy. Artists who debuted at number one or number two are going back to August 1966, The Trogs, spelled with two Gs. Yeah, and what a song it was. Wild thing. Number one for two weeks, end of July, first week of August that year, British rock trio from Andover, England, also a big hit with Love Us All Around. Yeah. And for Wild Thing, the B-side was a bouncy number called With a Girl Like You. Classic British Invasion type pop band, 1966. Yeah, and I don't know which is cooler for the Trogs, having a number one record or having it Covered in concert by Jimi Hendrix. My God, he made it his own. I mean, mm-hmm. can you imagine writing something that's cool enough for Jimi Hendrix? <laughs> Do you think Michael Bublé would want to take a stab at Wild Thing? I doubt it. I'm thinking not. <laughs> Soon to be hits making their debut. Frankie, the week of September 19th, 1976. Now you did your Ooh. studying, so run them down for me. 1976. That's. Which ones were gotta, they? Gotta, gotta be a couple of disco songs in there. <laughs> then Lizzie, the, the Terrible Tees. Oh, really? Came out with Cowboy Song, which is a cool tune. Yeah, it is. It's actually a pretty good tune. That was number 93 that week. Okay. Still my favorites of the Little River Band was It's a Long Way There, the first time we heard them. Okay. And I really like that song. It debuted at number 89 and peaked at number 28.
band. Yeah. Boston's More Than a Feeling. Last week's featured artist mm-hmm. debuted that uh, single at number 86. Just to be close to you, another one of my favorites from the car- the, the Commodores. Yeah. That peaked at number 7, started out at number 85. Number 82 was This One's For You, Barry Manilow. Okay. That peaked at number 29. I thought it did better, but I guess not. Yeah, I think Manilow fever was starting to dry up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, number 77, Do You Feel Like We Do, Peter Frampton, with that, what, 15-minute song? Right, that was cut to about 3 minutes and 50 seconds <laughs> yeah. for <our> radio. <laughs> and peaked at number 10. Love So Right, a great song by the Bee Gees, peaked at number three and started out at number 70 the week of September 19th. Good That's tunes right. making Love their so debut right. in 1976. And I don't see any disco songs no, in there I'm at all. I'm kind of disappointed about that. That is good news. <laughs> Pop versus rock or psych versus rock, mm-hmm. as the case may be. That's right. Got a good one at number five in the psych category. What was it, Frankie? Crimson and Clover by Tommy James and the Shondells. Wow, what a departure for that group. Exactly. I think we're alone now to Crimson and Clover. You better believe it. This psychedelic masterpiece was recorded in late 1968 in about five hours and is actually one of the earliest songs recorded on 16-track equipment. Really? Now, Tommy made a rough mix of Crimson and Clover to play for the Roulette Records executives for kind of evaluation. The band was still intending to improve the mix with ambient sound and echo. A few days later, James stopped by the Chicago radio station WLS to get their reaction. After an interview discussing the single, he was persuaded to play his copy of the Rock Rough Mix off the air for WLS. Well, unbeknownst to James, the station recorded the song, which they aired with little delay in November of 1968 as a world exclusive. Oh boy, you can do that. Yeah, with word of mouth spreading, Along with the demand for the single, Roulette Records had no choice but to print the mass copy of the rough mix. Tommy James would never get his prized final mix. But no matter, by January they had played it on the Ed Sullivan Show, and within a week, Crimson and Clover was the number one song in the country. 
Yeah, it spent a lot of time at number one. <laughs> in sure fact, did. this week at number five was moving down the charts by now. They had another number one in 1966, Hanky Panky. They sure which did. Again, yeah. is a departure from Crimson and Clover, which is a great tune. Right, and I guess they they had talked about with the uh, record company doing something that was a little bit more uh, substantial, maybe that would sell some albums instead mm-hmm. of the singles that they usually sold and it worked yeah it sounds like something donovan would do uh right it was it was cool how artists would be experimenting with different musical um not necessarily instruments but just different ways to make sounds different exactly uh, and it wasn't just george martin of the beatles doing it with uh you know revolver or sergeant peppers it was a sure, lot of art there were a arts. lot of people and uh, of course uh out of that session also came Crystal Blue Persuasion, oh, I which love was that another song. big hit. Yeah, one of my favorite oldies of all mm-hmm. time. Crimson and Clover, Tommy James, number five. And number four was... Dizzy by Tommy Rowe. Oh, that's a nice Great song to speak <laughs> to, wasn't yeah. it? a big leap from number 10 the week before and would climb into the top spot starting next week and stay there at number one for four weeks. Mm. Dizzy. He also started out with a number one hit called Sheila, 1962. And wrote a top 10 hit later on in 1969, Jam Up and Jelly Tight, which that's right, yes. That'll probably make its way onto our pop versus rock category before too long. Roe has released 55 singles over the years, including Come On Sweet Pea and Hooray for Hazel. He's now 80 years old, living the high life in Beverly Hills. Nice. Dizzy, number four. He had some really fun singles, yeah. Week of March 8th, 1969. Top five singles, the week of September 19th, 1979. I'll tell you what's cool about this in a minute, but number five was Lead Me On by Maxine Nightingale. Oh, my goodness. Don't Bring Me Down, ELO. That song had debuted in the top uh, 40 at like number 15. You thought it was a surefire number one, right? It kind of stalled after it hit number four. I think that's where it, it peaked. Devil Went Down to Georgia, which is a great tune. Charlie Daniels Band. Yeah. That was at number three. Exactly. Earth, Wind, and Fire, one of our featured artists from way back when. We'll bring him back. After the Love is Gone, great tune. David oh, Foster another, wrote that. another great tune. And yeah. The Knack. 
in its fourth of six weeks at the top with My Sharona. Mm -hmm. So you know what's cool about this? No, Not even the Bee Gees. Anita Ward, no Bee Gees, <laughs> no disco songs in the top five. In fact, the only disco tune in the top ten that week was Chic and Good Times that had fallen from number two the week before. Neat. So maybe it kind of foretold what was happening with uh, the dawn of New Wave and, of course, bands like The Knack. And you still had Springsteen, and he was coming out sure, with, with sure. The River pretty soon. and. A lot of good artists that were rock and rollers, Billy Joel, uh, that weren't disco. So that John was John Mellencamp would John be Mellencamp coming on the scene. Yeah. Elton John, mm-hmm. and I think, like you were saying, a lot of the artists, the Stones, the Yellow, Elton John, had tried a little disco and said, "Okay, that's enough." Yeah, generally one or two um, kind of stabs at it, and then they were on to something else. Yeah. They just were bored with it, yeah. as they should have been. Mm-hmm. Rock releases September 19th, the week of, in 1970, After the Gold Rush by Neil Young. Ooh, what a do you have that one? Great. I do have um, uh, a number of the cuts off the album. Mm-hmm. I don't think I have the album, but I, I definitely had a number of cuts off. Of it. It's great stuff. I don't have that one, but I do, or I did, have Harvest. And, uh, of course, Russ Never Sleeps. I still have that one. Right, right. But not a lot of Neil Young. Living in the USA, Linda Ronstadt, 1978. We brought that up before. That was a roller skate one. Double platinum before it hit the stores. Absolutely. ACDC, Dirty Deeds, Done Dirt Cheap, 1976. Talk about overplayed, but still a cool tune. I like that band. Dire Straits, Love Over Gold, 1982. Steely Dan. These are all bands, uh, except for maybe Neil Young and Mm ACDC. A lot of these bands we featured already. Sure, absolutely. Uh, Gaucho came out in 1980. Yeah, the last of their original... Seven, was it, albums? Uh, yeah. Great stuff on there. Santana, Abraxas, 1970. Asia by Steely Dan, 1977. I didn't mm-hmm. know it was released in September of 77. I thought it was a little later on that year. But, in fact, I thought it was released in 1978 at first. But, no, it was released, like, late 77. But really not that late. It was just early fall. Right. Parallel Lines by Blondie, 1978. That's a really cool album cover. Yeah, it is, and we talked about that. Indeed. It's a a great one. Billy Joel's Nylon Curtain, 1982, that had Allentown on it. Some good stuff. Sure. T-Rex Electric Warrior, 1971. The Eagles in the Long Run, 1979. It would be a long time until we heard from the Eagles again. Exactly. 
Utopia, Deface the Music, not Face the Music, but <laughs> the, uh, the song made up of uh, little tiny rockers that sound a little bit like the Beatles. I think Todd Rundgren, you can still hear him play some of those tunes in concert if he wants to get in there. But I think even he was starting to think maybe this is a little more like the Beatles than we want it to be, and I don't want to get in trouble. And anyway, some really cool short songs on Deface the Music, Utopia, that's 1980. <laughs> came out with Strange Days in 1967 and Forever Now by the Psychedelic Furs 1982. There you go. The Furs are one of my mm-hmm. favorite bands. We had them as one of our featured artists in our new wave category. Right. All right, Frankie, featured artist time. We'll call it Bruce Springsteen 2. Yeah. He was uh, early on our featured artist, I think uh, episode 5 or 6, season 1, The Boss. Frankie, you ever see Bruce Springsteen in concert? <laughs> well, now that you mentioned it, I actually uh, I've seen him ten times, uh, beginning with 1976's Born to Run tour, which was at the old Allen Theater downtown um, before it was revamped, before it was redone. <laughs> Five um, times. Exactly. Um, then uh, the Darkness uh, on the Edge of Town tour, 78, and the River Tour of 1981. Now, the River Tour stands out for a couple of reasons. Number one, it was flat out the greatest concert I've ever seen to this date. And number two, I was at that concert with not only my sister, but your sister. My sister? Yes. I was there with Linda. Oh. Uh, and with Geraldine. Oh, Interestingly enough. That's funny because you still don't know who you saw Spyro Gyro with. I still don't know, but I know that I was there that night, uh, and uh, I know they both share uh, a common uh, love for that show. It was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, a few years later, caught up with them on the Born in the USA tour. Then um, 15 years went by, I didn't see him, but that was when he was not touring with the E Street Band. Right. Now, if you've ever heard me talk about Bruce Springsteen, I really talk about them and him and the E Street Band almost interchangeably. Yep. It's not, uh, I was not interested yeah. in seeing him without. And no, I these didn't. guys are one. Right. So I saw him again in 1999 on their reunion tour, then in 2002 on the Rising the Tour. Rising that, tour. Was, of course, was the one that happened just after 9 11. Yeah. Um, but The next year, I saw him up in Detroit on kind of the final leg of the Rising Tour, Mm -hmm. uh, which was another fantastic concert, and that was at Comerica Park. Oh. 
In 2004, we saw the Vote for Change tour. Now, that was with my daughter. To this day, in fact, when we were talking about concerts over the holidays. Yeah, Labor Day. She right. says that that was her favorite concert of all time. Really? And, of course, that was one that the R.E.M., John Fogarty, and then Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. Mm-hmm. You can't do much better as far as no. three live acts than those. And then uh, in 2007, I would see the Magic Tour. And finally, last time I saw him was 2009, Working on a Dream. And that was the one where he played Born to Run in its entirety. In its entirety. That's what you were waiting for. That was the That was fantastic. Meeting across the river. Exactly. see Bruce Springsteen in concert, the key is you have to see all three lands. And what I'm talking about there is Badlands, The Promised Land, and of course, Jungle Land. Because mm-hmm. the, if, when he's playing all three of those, he's playing the hits, he's, he's playing the epics. Yeah. And uh, so I've always said, you got to see the three lands. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, a couple of the guys have passed away yeah. over the years. Clarence Clemens. Tragically. Danny, yeah, yes. Danny Federici, right. Uh, so... Um, it's sad, but everybody's kind of getting older now, aren't they? Yeah, we all are, and there's almost no band from that era that really has gone unscathed. Just about every band that you name yeah. has had has lost, you know, members. Uh, maybe, maybe other than I think Aerosmith, I think they're still intact. But other than that, just about every band I can think of has yeah. lost members. Boy, well, it's been a long time since we first heard from the Boss, native of sure. the Jersey Shore. Loves the Jersey Shore, New mm-hmm. York loves New York, and Cleveland. And you mentioned a few folks who cite Bruce Springsteen's concert as their best ever. Right. And a lot of people can do that, can't they? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He's just a great entertainer, isn't he? Right. Maybe the best one you've ever seen? I would say, without question, he is the greatest entertainer of my generation. Whatever that means to anybody. Uh, I never saw Elvis. I have no idea what mm-hmm. he was. I've, and, of course, I'll never see some of today's great entertainers. I'm sure there are lots of good One Direction, ones. Backstreet Boys, or, NSYNC. you know, uh, Carrie Underwood or, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. I don't Taylor know. Taylor Swift. I can't tell you if they're great. I'll yeah. never see them. But I can say that uh, in my time, and I saw, you know, Zeppelin and The Who and all, and all the great bands from the day, nobody was any better live than Bruce Springsteen.
slick speedway in the Utah desert. I pick up my money, head back into town, driving across the Waynesburg County line. I got the radio on, but it's just killing time. Working all day in my daddy's garage, driving all night, chasing some mirage. Pretty soon I get up every morning, go to work each day, but your eyes go blind, your blood runs cold, sometimes I feel so weak, I just want to explode, explode, and tear this old town apart, take a knife, and cut this It puts everything into it, doesn't he? Better he, than a three-hour sure show? Does. Absolutely. Do they yeah. take a break or no? Usually there is an intermission mm-hmm. because uh, <laughs> generally, that, in fact, the, the show that i referring to from 81 was, I think, three hours and 45 minutes. Yeah. So, yeah, there's usually about a 20-minute intermission <laughs> in there uh, just for them to cut their, their uh, kind of catch. Their Any crop. opening act? No. Does he get on stage I, on I, time? I, I, the only time I saw an opening act was the Vote for Change tour right. when he had R.E.M. R-E-M and uh, John Fogarty. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. A lot of artists spend a lot of time setting up the song or maybe telling a joke. Oh, yeah. Sometimes it can get Absolutely. a little long-winded, but not Abs- Bruce, right? Absolutely. It's entertaining that way, too. He is entertaining, and if he tells a story, uh, it it mixes perfectly in with what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So, it's yeah, he, he will tell you a story. Uh, in fact, he loves to call it as he calls it his rock and roll revival you know but uh it's fun to watch and it's it's fun to be a part of it because um springsteen concerts are are really special there i was one night just a normal guy and then there I was the next night. God damn, I was still just a normal guy. When I stood stone like at midnight, suspended in my masquerade, then I combed my hair, look was just right, and commanded the night brigade. Well, I was open to pain and crossed by a line. I walked on a crooked crutch. I stood all alone to a far outside. Where came I with my soul untouched? Yeah, the cloud and wrath of the crowd. When they said, sit down, I stood up. Was set one to one. Why had a jukebox graduate for first mate? She didn't sound like she showed the sign. Why push B52? Bottom with the blues. Like 
Interesting. Uh, you, you talked about his start, and that when we talked about him before, um, you had mentioned that Clive Davis from Columbia Records was the guy that discovered Bruce. Yeah. And then upon listening to the early version of his first album, his debut, Greetings from Asbury Park, Clive felt that the album lacked a potential single. He just didn't hear it. Yeah. So Springsteen went back and wrote a song <laughs> called Blinded by the Light in mm. response. It was the first single and was commercially unsuccessful and did not appear on any music charts. It was side one, cut one, the very first time we'd heard from Bruce, and the first verse went like this. Madman, drummers, bummers, Indians in the summer (laughs) with a teenage diplomat in the dumps and the bumps uh, as the adolescent pumps his way into his hat. With a boulder on my shoulder, feeling kind of older, I tripped the merry-go-round with this very unpleasing sneezing and wheezing, the calliope crashed to the ground. Great songwriting. Now, incredibly, each of those phrases had actual meaning. For instance, Madman Drummers is drummer Vinny Mad Dog Lopez. Indians in the Summer, that was Bruce's Little League team. Teenage Diplomat was Bruce himself. So they weren't just random rhymes. They actually make sense if you go back and and decode them, kind of. And about being a hit, well, Bruce was redeemed just three years later. You see, Man for Man's Earth Band took the song, changed a few lyrics, and revved up the arrangement, and the song went to number Number one in the country. So, you know, he knew he had a hit. It just wasn't for him. For him. (laughs) (laughs) And it was going to be later on. Exactly. By Man for Man. um, But Born to Run, he kind of wrote, too, because he needed a hit, and it started off the album in a great way. Yeah, and... uh, you know, some people can do that. I I have heard that Dancing in the Dark off of uh, Born in the USA. Now, hard to believe that somebody listened to Born in the USA huh. and didn't and said there were no hits on it. They that. released like seven, eight songs. But, again, that was the last one written, and it was written to be a little bit more commercial, and mm. certainly it was. Uh, everybody loved it, and, boy, like you said, seven singles later. <laughs> now, he really muscled up, didn't he, for that album, uh, Physically, do you think that's because he needed to create more endurance for him on stage or something? It could have been. Or just want a different look. I I don't know, but I know that uh, you know at one point um, he was literally doing four hour shows, and I don't know how anybody you know could play for four hours. And he does, you know, it's not like he just gets out there and sings. He does an awful lot of the guitar work himself. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people that haven't seen. Bruce Springsteen in concert, don't realize what a great guitar player he is. Yeah. Because they think, oh, it's Miami Steve uh, that, you know, or, or Nils Lofgren. And they're wonderful and they do a great job. But Bruce is not afraid to step out there and take, you know, a solo for himself. And he does all the time. Well, the good news is you're going to get another chance to see Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. The international tour kicks off here in America at the Emily Center in Tampa on February 1st. It's coming to Cleveland Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse on uh, April 5th. Then it's off to Europe. We'll be in Spain at the end of April and continue a lengthy tour over in Europe.
won 20 Grammy Awards, two Golden Globes, an <laughs> Academy Award, and a Tony. That's hard to do. That is. And I know that uh, along the way, he was actually uh, nominated for some Emmys. He never won, though, or he would be one of the EGOTs, as they call yeah. it, like you were talking about with Marvin Hamlish. That very, very rare. All four of the uh, awards. Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, 1999. Kennedy Center honoree in 2009. He saw the Beatles perform on the Ed Sullivan Show. If he was doing something else that night, he wouldn't have been a rock and roller. Exactly. I mean, everybody saw the Beatles, it seems. Except it, me. It does. And uh, I did see them that night. Um, it's just funny. It was just almost by accident that I that I came in from playing. I'm yeah. sure I was playing, and uh, you know, I actually watched them that night. So, hey. Favorite album, Frankie? If you can name one, or two, or three. Wow. Um, I, I guess I love Born to Run. There's no question about that. It's an epic album, and of course it made its career. But when I when I listen to it from front to, to back, uh, the whole thing, I just love The Wild and the Innocent, The East mm. Street Shuffle. It's such a great jazz album. Two or three of the guys that played on that, like Vinny Mad Dog uh, Lopez, yeah. like David Sanchez, left the band after that record because. Bruce was moving away from that sound. Mm -hmm. There was a very different sound on songs like Kitty's Back, Rosalita. Rosalita. Very different song that then would come down the road for Born to Run. Since Sally left the alley Since Kitty left 
So next week, featured artist Jethro Tull. Ooh, that's a, another great band. Yeah, we'll do Alice Cooper, and then pretty soon we'll bring back uh, other older featured artists like The Who and Steely Dan. It'll be fun. Yeah, oh, plenty to talk about. Plenty Frank, thanks for talk. joining me in episode two of season seven. It's been great being here. This is Tim Friedman's 70s Rock Conversations. We'll see you next time. <laughs>